TV on the No Filter Network. Start up the stream right now. Shout out to everybody listening on Spotify and YouTube. Let's get it. All righty. We are live on the No Filter Network. It's your boy, J.D. Dugan. It's Monday morning. Going to jump right into the sports talk. Another great weekend of sports action. Thank you to everybody watching and listening live on the No Filter Network. Always much appreciated. So I'm going to do something new to start the show today. I'm going to call it Who Was In The Zone This Weekend? Yes, a little cliche here on The Zone TV, but I've been meaning to incorporate this for a while. It was a great weekend of sports, so I was thinking, how can I do a quick weekend rundown? So let's see. Who was in the zone this weekend in the sports world? Let's start it out with a little MMA action, and we'll move it along. Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez put on an absolute show in a five-round dogfight at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. There was 389 combined significant strikes in the match between the two. And it was one of those fights where you really couldn't look away. There was a lot of great college football on Saturday. But I'm not going to lie, I was tuning into this main event. That was a great card in general. Tons of action. And nothing but respect to both those Warriors. But both those guys were definitely in the zone. If anybody watched that fight, if not... If you're a UFC or MMA fan, definitely worth checking out later on. I think ESPN Plus has all the fights available, and a lot of times you find it on YouTube. Okay, moving along into the NFL. There was four teams this weekend that won by more than 25 points. The Patriots, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, and the Bills, they all put the beat down on their opponents. I would say they were in the zone. The Cowboys, the Chiefs, and the Patriots' victories stood out to me because – those are teams that the Cowboys were coming off a tough loss. Dak was getting back from that injury. The Bills, yes, they had a tough loss, but I don't think it, I think everybody knew that was a fluke for the Bills. But the Patriots, the Chiefs, I think those were big statement wins for those teams. We're going to talk a little more about those teams later. And let's give props for another person who was in the zone. Patriots running back, Ramondre Stevenson. He rushed the ball 20 times for 100 yards, two touchdowns. He's a fourth-round pick. And I thought I'd show him a little love on the show. He's a JUCO transfer from Southern California, Cerritos College, right in my backyard. So I had to throw it out there. And it might be a little bit of a stretch, but, you know, Patriots, bruising running back, you know, that's a little bit of a LeGarrette Blount kind of feel. And we know how Belichick is when he has a plethora of running backs to choose from. It seems like they're going down that road again. So shout out Ramondre Stevenson. He was in the zone last weekend. Six foot 227, according to his combine stuff. So big dude for a running back. The Patriots and Titans, now speaking of the Patriots, have the two longest winning streaks in the NFL. The Titans have a six-game winning streak, and the Patriots are sitting at four wins. They're both in the zone. Moving along to the NBA, the Warriors had a seven-game winning streak snapped yesterday, and they were definitely in that zone until then. But the hottest team in the league right now, almost as hot as the Sun, you could say, is the Phoenix Suns with an eight-game winning streak intact. One last NBA note for who's in the zone. Keep this one rolling from week to week. You know, it's a good way to get back into the sports flow. Trey Young dropped 43 yesterday against the Bucks to put him on this ex- exclusive list. According to ESPN Stats and Info, Info Trey Young had 17, has 17 40-point games in his career tied with Kevin Durant, and LeBron James for the third most by any player in his first four seasons since the merger. Only Michael Jordan and Shaq have more. So that's an impressive stat. One last who's in the zone, who was in the zone for the weekend. 
Like I said, it's new, but we're keeping it rocking. Fun stuff. The one and only Uncle Rico is in the chat. Welcome to the show, Rico. Trey Young, Steph Curry 2.0. I see the comparison. Maybe we'll get you on here and get your thoughts on this one. I've, I've said maybe a little more Steve Nash-ish at times with a little more Steph Curry, like, shooting. But he's got that pass-first mentality. But we'll get we'll add Rico in the knock here. So my last who was in the zone for the weekend, the Georgia Bulldogs. They, you know, their defense, you know, for their, their standards, they had a bit of a letdown. They let up 17 points. I'm just kidding. But that's the most they've let up all season. All kidding aside, this defense is for real. This team is for real. And I usually go into the playoffs thinking, I don't know if anybody can beat Bama. I don't know if anybody besides Clemson the last few years. But this Georgia Bulldogs looks like the real deal 100% in my opinion. So, like I said, 17 100. points. That was the most they let up all season, and that was a good Tennessee offense. Welcome to the show, Rico. I always appreciate, appreciate you jumping on here. That was a new little who was in the zone over the weekend kind of a thing. Just to recap who the weekend. In, who was in the zone this weekend? Keep, keeping the cliches rolling on the zone TV. Got I always to. love a good cliche to start my week off. So, um, Interesting stuff on Trey Young. Interesting take on Bama and Georgia. Uh Georgia looks like Georgia looks it, but I also don't I don't know if they're like they're a clear cut favorite right now, but they just I I can't do it like until they can supplant Bama I just can't do it. Like, I'm cheering for Stetson Bennett because everything in the world says this guy should not be successful. He looks like the legacy fraternity member whose dad is ashamed of him. Like, every time I look at Stetson Bennett, I'm, like, thinking of Parent Weekend at Georgia and his dad being, like, the head of the party and just looking at his kid like he's a runt. He's like, Dad, you know, I'm starting quarterback at Georgia. You can't talk to me like that. And, you know, he, here he is starting over JT Daniels, who was on Kuiper's draft list preseason. I mean, look at that thing. That thing is in shambles. Spencer Rattler, number one. Come on. Now, that's a whole story for a whole other time. I could go Definitely. off on Spencer Rattler for quite some time. Him being a native of Arizona, Pinnacle High School. Um. And they had that documentary on him, that QB1 doc, and you got to see how just unbelievably arrogant the kid was. Like, he was good. He's a gamer, uh, but I was just never quite sold on him. But as a number one, like a clear-cut number one, like, don't get me wrong, he's good, but is he number one pick good? No, not even close. Uh, and there's really a lot that I want to unpack with you. Uh I do want to get your take on God, what is that bum's name? Chris Strebler, the third string quarterback for the Cardinals. I don't know if you've seen this guy. Uh, I'm not familiar. Okay. It, it makes me wonder how some people get jobs in the NFL. Because he is – like you wouldn't even pick him if you were playing in your Turkey Bowl League. Like he's that bad. He – 
he looks like a biker. Like he's like just came from a biker gang and this is totally getting off track. I have so much such a deep hatred for him uh after cheering for him. But oh, you have just a, short... a straight grilling to start the show. Just like I've I'm so amped up on Monday, okay? There was a lot of upsets. Uh my I'm basically making up all of my money that I lost this weekend on the uh, Monday night football game with the Rams and the Niners. And that's all due to live betting. Like the afternoon games I had lost by then I, I was wiped out. All my parlays just fucking for the most part done. We I picked a few winners uh, when I went on SEP show, but the Falcons really did me in. Uh, yeah, the yeah, Titans, was, uh, the Falcons. I I look back at it and I go, "What was I thinking?" But I was on the Falcons also. I really thought I was like, "Hey, man, plus eight Falcons. Their, their offense has been clicking. The Cowboys haven't been getting stops and forty three to three. So no, I hear you on that one. The live betting is a. Uh, I feel like it's like uh, throwing, you know, like going fishing or something. Some days it hits, and some days you just. You don't get a bite. <laughs> if I yeah. don't have that rhythm going, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, when I can watch the game, I'm a lot better at it. Like, if I've watched the game I, and I have a feel for, like, what the coaches are calling, what their, you know, excuse me, what their uh, vibe is, where they're at protecting or scoring or Definitely. what's been working, like what hasn't been worked. Working like NBA, yesterday. you can get a good feel. Sorry to cut you off, but no, I feel like ahead. football is so even watching the game live. College is a little different. I feel like NFL is so unpredictable. At least NBA, I feel like you could pick up a tempo, see who's hot early, those kind of things. If a guy just doesn't have it that night, you're like, okay, I could probably Giannis is over nine to start the night. That's an ex a way out there example, but you get what I'm saying. I feel like NFL is tough. Yeah, to get that rhythm. It, it is, uh, other than in garbage time with elite quarterbacks, like true. Uh, back truck up if the Cowboys are down a lot because Dak Prescott is the garbage time MVP. So, like last week when they were down thirty to nothing, and the spread was like uh, plus seventeen or something. I'm like, back that truck up because <laughs> Dak's gonna. Dak's going to do what Dak does. He's going to throw a bunch of, you know, defenses will play prevent. He'll take what's there and he'll score. And they ended up covering, you know, 16, 30, something like that. And uh, there's that factor in live betting with prevent defense. And if you're playing to win or you're playing not to lose, like you can tell when a coach is playing not to lose and when they're playing to win. And, um that that's really good, affects... that's good, well said well said i was watching the oregon washington state game and although it, it ended up being closer than i thought doing a little live action on that one that's, that's exactly i was like washington state's just trying not to lose this game they're not really going to push the pace they're just staying in it and then oregon eventually hit that gas and took off but that's a great way to put it it really is true mm -hmm. they they play not to lose and you just lose your rhythm. You lose your flow. And I, I don't understand why teams do it. Like, I get you don't want to give up the big play in terms of defense. But th the last thing you want to do is drop back 
and let the quarterback get in rhythm. If you're blitzing him and he is clearly not performing under duress, you need to keep lighting him up. And then they start dropping back and giving up everything underneath. And then the quarterback gets in the rhythm. And the next thing you know, he's starting to fill out the field and fill out the coverages. And you try to blitz and he's on. And that's the last thing you want, like to get him out of that shell shock mode. And so many teams do this. And I'm just like, why? Like, if you're scoring points, I get it in one aspect, but I'm always a foot on the throat kind of guy. Like, just go. Do your offense. Do your defense. I get that you're going to want to milk the clock a little bit. Take more time. Maybe a few more running plays. But there's so many different short passes that are now considered running plays. You know, it's an extension of the running game. Like, you can do those short intermediate routes that will keep the clock moving and stuff. And you should still take your play action shots. You shouldn't worry about how much time you leave on the clock if you score again, like you want to score. Like I get Aaron Rodgers. You don't want to leave him with two minutes. Okay. I understand that. But at the end of the day, you need to do what's best for the team and for the flow of the game. And if you start putting in your players' minds, like, okay, I don't have faith that you guys can do what we've been doing all game and stopping them. Now I'm going to completely switch up the defense or I'm going to completely switch up the offense because I don't believe that you guys can uh, essentially do what you've been doing this entire game. I don't think that you can come through. And that's just, I think that's a bad message to send to your team. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then to make the comparison NBA, I think I, in the modern era, we see so many games where a team gets out to a huge lead early, and then by the third quarter, it's a close game again. And I think in the NBA, we see that where teams, they let their foot off the gas. It's very similar where once you have that lead, yes, you want, especially in the NFL, you want to control the clock. You want to control the uh, where you are on the field. You don't want to go for it on a bad fourth down, punt the ball, put them in a bad spot. Those kind of things are important still. But you definitely see it, and I just can't think, help but think of the NBA where we see so many leads. A team will be up 19 in the first half, and they completely change their game plan, take their foot off the gas, and next thing you know, it's a close game. And I, I think that's just a, it's kind of where we're at. I wonder if there could be – I don't want to, like, blame analytics and the way of trends and patterns and the kind of way we coach nowadays, but I think there could be something to it with that. But – no, all well said. And to backtrack to something you said about Georgia, I did want to go back to that. I keep meaning to not to totally change the tide here. Well, speaking of the tide, I was going to say, as much as I do think Georgia is, yeah, perfect timing here, the best team in the country, I do think that Nick Saban is a guy who's going to have a couple tricks up his sleeve. And it is interesting how Alabama traditionally – always the best defense, best defense, best defense. Now maybe Saban's looking around the corner. He's like, Georgia's defense is rock solid. I don't want to get in a grinder with this team. We're going to go beat them in a shootout. So they might be preparing for a different kind of style of play than traditional Alabama football. Bryce Young might be the guy to, I'm not going to say he's going to light up Georgia's defense, but if anybody's going to have a game plan, something up his sleeve, it's going to be Saban. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I do think that that's, 
just something to consider because right now it is the consensus. Like Georgia's the team, and I do think the talent's there. But yep. if you if you like you said though, it's hard to pick against Nick Saban. And I just wanted to reiterate that because I don't want to sound like I'm up here going Saban's done. I, I think if I had to pick right now, Georgia and Bama. I'm expecting Bama to win that like a three point, like 28, 24, 28, 25. I don't know. Some in that ball game, like a grinder kind of a game, but Bama gets out. But, anyways, what are your thoughts on if they matched up head, head to head? Well, for one, Bama or Nick Saban doesn't lose to his assistants. Like his record against his assistants is like 23 and 0. He lost uh, this year for the first time year. to Jimbo. So I'm like, I don't think he's going to let it happen twice. <laughs> And that actually, um, I'm on the opposite side of that. I think that this year, Bama is vulnerable because of their lack of defense. Like, they could get into games where uh, their defense can lock it down and they can play a close one. Their defense is not the defense of old this year. They are vulnerable all over. Now, Georgia is not a high-powered offense by any means, but they do have a great running game. I mean, Cook is as good of a tailback in this country that there is. There's so many good running backs this year. Like ASU's running back, White, Richard White, is just, I mean, the guy is a freak of just athletic talent, power, balance. And that's the other thing, Kyron Williams. You're seeing these backs that are uh, – their center of gravity is so strong. Their balance and the way they absorb hits and can catch and can block and can run for uh, one cut, juke moves, power, and being able to evade that first hit, absorb that contact, stay – on their feet, stay balanced, and keep moving. Keep those legs moving. I mean, this is probably going to be one of the ripest years for tailbacks in this draft that I can remember seeing in 10 years. Like, the kids that are coming out this year, and then you're not even factoring in the prices of uh, Iowa State. Uh, Baylor has a running back that's just a beast. You obviously have... uh, the kid out in UCLA who's uh, was a Michigan transfer who's just a beast mode. Like, there's a lot of good backs. But Kirby Smart, I think this is Georgia's time. Like, Stetson Bennett should not win a national championship. Of all of the quarterbacks that Georgia has had, he would be, on paper, the, the least likely to win. And it's why I think that he is most likely to win. Because he's one of those guys that just makes plays when it's time to make plays. Gamer. Like he's, yeah, he, he, he's not a great thrower. He's not accurate incredibly. Uh, he doesn't have a strong arm. He's not fast. Like he's a rec league quarterback playing for the number one team in the country. But the team loves him. They fight for him. And that goes along so much further than anything. And he's got a little baker in him. Like, he's, he's got that playmaking street ball, just throw it around. When it's time to wing it, you just wing it. And it's a fearlessness that you can't teach, and it's why he got his chance. Like, he was running the scout team at Georgia, and he was shredding them. 
because he was doing Baker-like things. They said, this kid's like Baker Mayfield. We need to give him a shot. And here he is supplanting himself above a potential lottery pick in JT Daniels. You know, a transfer from USC who got, I guess, beat out by a Keaton Slovis, who's now being beat out by a new freshman. You know, it's like a topsy-turvy time for quarterbacks. Like, uh, I can't remember seeing as many preseason lottery picks being benched or not playing as I have in this year. And that's a topic for a different time about what these kids are going to do. But going back to Georgia and Bama, Bryce Young and the offense can put up points. There's no question there. But when they're not scoring points and it's a close dogfight, can they get it done in crunch time? And did, I, I forgot, did Texas A&M beat um, Ole Miss? I could fact check. I'm, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Because if they didn't, then Bama would be going to the conference game. But if Texas A&M wins out, they're going to the title game. Old Miss beat Texas A&M. Okay, so Bama's going back to the SEC championship. So you're going to have Georgia and Bama there. Now here's an even better question. Does a two-loss Bama get in over an undefeated Cincy? And this is assuming that they would lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game. I, My gut, I want to go put Cincinnati in. I like I was, you know, I grew up on Boise State. I was always, I could never understand why is this Boise State team not getting their chance? And now here we are 15 years later, whatever. And I'm not going to lie. I think I would have to put Bama in because the losses to Georgia. But I, I wouldn't argue against if somebody found a loophole. That being said, I, I would lean towards Oregon being bumped out before Bama. I would put a two-loss Bama team in over Oregon. That's just where I'm at with it. See, so you're looking at me like, what? I don't know. I, Oregon, well, I feel like I'm a Pac-12. I was just going to say too. how you're a Pac-12-er, man. You can't I know, do West that. Jeez. It's tough. Uh, I mean, but something has to break the SEC cycle. Like, something True. has to come in and break that cycle of Bama. Like, Bama, look at them. They Who gets away with scheduling New Mexico State in the middle of the season, like it's I was brilliant. just ranting about it, that. Like, fair enough. It's a bye week. It's essentially a bye week. Like you go in there and you just beat the piss out of them, and you're playing your backup players, and you're you're favored by fifty one, and you cover. Like that's the most obnoxious line I've ever heard, and they still covered it. And in the a first half, and the team. Like, this loss that Texas A&M has has to factor in. Like, if Texas A&M wins out, yeah, I could see a one-loss Bama, a two-loss Bama being in. Uh, but Texas A&M has three losses now. And there is no reason that Desmond Ritter and Cincy – shouldn't get a shot. They've done everything that everybody has asked of them. 
And they went into Notre Dame and put it on them. Like, I watched that game. That was so frustrating because it was the birth of the Brian Kelly triple quarterback system. I'm like, you're going to pick this game to start jumbling your quarterbacks around. Are you just, like, did you just get into your mom's Percocets or something? Like, what are you doing? And now we see how good the Irish look with just sticking with Jack Cohn and figuring out what his strengths are. Get the ball out fast. Like, he's a guy that came from Wisconsin. He wasn't asked to do these long uh, developing plays. He was a run, play action, get the ball out. You know, two seconds or less type. And now that they're doing that, they look like a completely different offense. They look – now, that's another question I would have. I guess we're going to go dig into the college football playoffs right now since it's that time of year. You have a one-loss Notre Dame. Do they get in over a one-loss Oregon? I would have to double-check everybody they played, but from watching both teams, I would put I think Notre Dame's better than Oregon personally. And when I'm looking at the top four, to go back to what we were talking about, right now they have the AP 25, at least is Georgia, Bama, Cincinnati, Oregon. It seems like I would sit with the top three. I do want to say this because I'll, I'll backtrack to what you said, but with, when it comes to Georgia and Bama, I will say this. If Bama lost by three and it came down to the wire, then I think the the conversation's open to keeping them in that four spot. But if they get blown out by Georgia, then, yeah, I don't think they deserve to go to the national championship with two losses. I do think that's worth mentioning for sure because that's a big difference. And as far as Notre Dame, I do want to look up their who they played. I'm going to try to check it real quick. But from everything we I played, remember, they, they played a dogfight of a schedule. Yeah, early on, like we've beaten, you know, North Carolina – Purdue, um, USC. There's been a lot of Wisconsin when they were ranked. Like, we beat a lot of teams when they were ranked. And some of the teams were better than their ranking at the time. Some of the teams were worse than their ranking at the time. But the only loss we have is to an undefeated Cincinnati team. And depending on what the college football committee thinks about that Cincinnati team will factor into what they think about Notre Dame's schedule. Because if they don't think Cincinnati is worthy of getting in, like it would be an absolute travesty if Notre Dame got in over Cincinnati. And this is from a Notre Dame guy. Like there is no way, shape or form that Notre Dame should get in over Cincinnati. And I also think that there is no way that a two loss Bama in the SEC championship whether it's a close game, whether it's a bad call, I don't care. They lose, they're out. Like a three-loss Texas A&M team should not be seen as just because they're SEC as this golden ticket to get in. Like you can't give teams passes because of the losing conference games. Like that's why you play in those conferences. And to give them a pass just because – they played a potentially ranked Texas A&M team over in Oregon. Let's say Oregon wins out. You know, Utah's a good team. If they beat Utah in the Pac-12 championship, Oregon should go. If Georgia, obviously Georgia wins out, they're in. 
if Cincinnati wins out, I believe they should be in too. And I would love to see Notre Dame get in in that four spot and see a rematch of Cincy Notre Dame. Like I think that I think the committee will look and factor that in to selling it, the rematch. You know what I mean? Like the storylines between those two are so juicy. You have Brian Kelly, an ex-Cincinnati head coach, who left their undefeated season before a bowl game to come to Notre Dame early. Notre Dame poaches Cincy's defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, this past season, who is now the defensive coordinator for the Fighting Irish. Like, there's ties all over. And you got to respect the work that Cincy's done. Like, Cincy's one of those programs I always follow and I like whether it was Huggy during college basketball and now in football when they're uh, they're always playing that role of underdog. They're the new Boise State. And I really want to see them get through. So if you had to pick today, let's say all the records minus Bama at two stay the same, who do you have in your college football playoff? So if I had to pick today after everything we're talking about, I'm, I'm going to pull up the rankings one more time so I have the records in front of me. And I do want to get to it. one more thing after that. But I think that – Because we haven't even talked about Ohio State. I would say Georgia's – I'm going Georgia easily number one. That's, like, unanimous. Yeah. I think this is where it does get interesting because Ohio State, I'm not going to lie. I'm not that sold on that Ohio State team. Maybe that's just me. Mm-mm. I do think they, they deserve to be in the conversation. But after having this talk, and the way I, I would phrase it is – I think that beating Notre Dame the way Cincinnati did is their one big test, and they took care of business. I would put, I would go Georgia, Cincinnati, Oregon, Bama probably is my four today. The, before you, said, you go, yes, before you go, and I, I forgot to factor this in, end of the season, Ohio State, Michigan. I was about to say Ohio State has two big tests. So if they could win out. Michigan in Harbaugh. And Michigan State. I, I am, I am imploring that Michigan because that's going to be another thing. Like, so let's say Michigan beats Ohio State, but Michigan State, if they win out, they have the tiebreaker. But obviously, don't Michigan State and Ohio State play next weekend? Yeah, so that's a huge. So Ohio State's got two huge tests to wrap huge up. Huge tests. So I mean, so, if they take care of both those, it's hard to keep them out. So that's first the sixth and seventh best teams in the country. Right? Yeah, like, uh, and then you got Oregon who beat Ohio State. Could you see Ohio State getting in over Oregon, even though Oregon beat them? That would be like Bam or uh, Notre Dame getting in over Cincy, even though Cincy beat them. You know what I mean? Like, they're they are praying that uh, Ohio State gets knocked out of this because Ohio State is always a stick in their side, like always a thorn in their side, pardon me, because every year they do this, every year they want to get in, every year they're in the argument for it. But in an ideal situation, I would see Ohio State and Michigan coming in at 10-1 and and Michigan beating them. Like I am all in for Harbaugh. Uh, getting to the playoffs right now. Like, he's dealt with so much 
with that team. And this was his put-up-or-shut-up year. You know, like, let's be honest. If Harbaugh had another season like last year, he's done. He's done. Like, he's he's done everything you could want an ex-Michigan man to do but beat Ohio State. He hasn't beat Ohio State. If he does not beat Ohio State, he is fired. Fired. Like, the second the whistle blows, he's fired. And that's just what it's going to be. He knows that. The faculty knows that, the executives, the school board, the players, everybody knows that they are playing Ohio State for Harbaugh's job. And that is a lot of pressure to put on a lot of kids because they're close. You know what I mean? Like he's bonded with his players. They have this dream season in front of them where they could do in basically erase the last six years of Harbaugh's mistakes. And it could all come to a culmination. But they have to beat Ohio State. And I don't know if they will. Even if I'm not sold on them, I don't know. That's going to be – if both if, – if Ohio State takes care of business versus Michigan State and Michigan takes care of business and both those teams go and do it with possibly a championship spot or playoff spot on the line – yeah, that's going to be possibly the game of the season. Michigan, Ohio State, that's going to be – and it's already been a great season, so I'm not trying to be hyperbole there, but that's one of those – I feel like that rivalry hasn't had the intensity the last few years, so it's, it, it would be back. And one thing yeah. I will say after talking all about this, and I keep looking at the rankings, I preach this forever, and I think it's going to happen, but this year has shown it more than ever. They need to move it to like an eight-team playoff. In my opinion, there's too many good teams. I think that the level of – talent college football college sports just sports in general nowadays it's better than ever and the teams are deeper we see more upsets it's because programs are complete and it's like we have 10 teams right now that are sitting at nine and one or undefeated if you're cincinnati or georgia so I, what are your thoughts on expanding the playoff oh absolutely yeah absolutely expanding the playoff is uh necessity now i don't know how that works with bowl games but they've already figured out how to do it with the college football playoffs so i imagine they can do the same with this you know you if you go six teams you make all of the normal bcs big bowls aka the fiesta the sugar the orange and the rose the the big four and then you've got like uh what are the, the other big ones are like the Holiday, the Alamo, and I think the Chick-fil-A would Chick be the next. Bowl. I don't know if they still got the Tostitos Bowl. That was big for a long time. But, yeah, Chick-fil-A yeah, the, Bowl. Yeah, Tostitos Fiesta Bowl is That's what right. it was. That's yeah, right. so they would have those basically come in as the uh, undercards, so to say. But you could totally make it work. It doesn't take away from bowls because bowls still equal money. People still show up to bowl games. Like that was the big knock on playoffs is nobody's going to go to bowl games anymore. And it's like, no, teams that, first of all, the fans that go to these bowl games are the fans of the teams. Like, let's be honest. It doesn't matter if you are six and five. You think that people are just going to randomly want to watch that? Like, no, it's the people that are either diehards and will watch anything or the alums, and that's it. 
So you still get your same audience. And like you said, the parody in college football right now is so expansive. Like it, it's a shame that we don't get to see representatives from each conference and at least one at large, you know, cause it's smacking us right in the face. We have an at large at three and all of these other teams underneath are fighting their way into that spot. They're the only unbeaten team other than Georgia in the top 10. And they're sitting at three with the idea that they could be ousted if Bama beats Georgia. You know what I mean? Because then you have a one-loss Georgia, a one-loss Bama. They're both in. and That's a possibility. We didn't even – that's like a whole other thing to yeah. consider. Like Bama wins, they're in. Georgia loses. Like Georgia gets to the championship game, they're in the playoffs. No questions. And then you have Cincinnati, Oregon. Let's say like of those three, let's say Michigan wins out. Oregon wins out. Cincy wins out. Who doesn't get in of those three teams? Yeah, no, it's tough. And I'm off the top of my head, I I really couldn't I I don't know which direction because we've seen such a mess year after year. So it's like my gut tells me throw the undefeated team in simplest choice, but it's like, it doesn't often go that direction and no, it is, it's a mess. And I'm just looking right now. I mean, it's, it's almost like 15 teams deep right now. If you look at the rankings, so it's unbelievable. I'm going on kind of off track here, but I'm just like, yeah, no, it's, it's so hard to predict right now what's going to happen. I just think they need to open it up to eight, 12, something. Because to put four teams, I think it's it's not only you could start away. at six, like six, I'd even. Take yeah. six you know, like the no, top two get a bye, and you have the the bottom four play each other, so you're only adding two more games essentially, but you're getting all of. And I get the other argument that's going to come in. Well, then the seven eight teams are going to complain, and when's it going to stop? And it's like, well, it stops when teams stop being good and they stop making so much money off it because right. everybody wants to see playoffs. Everybody. Everybody loves playoffs. Everybody loves the opportunity to get their shot. You know, I have not heard one bad thing about the college football playoffs other than there's not enough teams. You know what I mean? Like, there's no negative to expanding it. It's going to happen. We already know that. And I, it will go to six teams by 2023 if not next year i honestly think that because there is going to be a shit storm if notre dame ohio state or michigan oregon oklahoma state or oklahoma oklahoma even you know all go in at one loss to a non-power five team that's undefeated and that beat a top five top six power football ranked team but their schedule was obviously not as difficult and strength of schedule matters but i really think that we got to give cincy that shot you know everybody other than the diehards of those teams want to see cincy in and either way there's going to be hurt feelings and there's going to be backlash we already know that 
But just think how much easier this situation could be solved if there was six teams. Like you have room for an at-large bid now because you have the four power conferences uh, or, well, you have four of the five power conferences or all five plus an at-large if you do six because there's five power conferences, Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, SEC, Pac-12. Those are the big five. And then you have one at-large bid. Problem solved. Problem solved. You know, all conference champions get in, and you get one at-large bid. Yeah, no, that's – it's foolproof. No, I mean, you're spot on. I was going to say, it's almost like one of those things when you say it out loud, you're like, makes too much sense for somebody like the NCAA to implement. It's like the NFL with some other, it just, it almost makes me wonder if they just close their eyes and just don't listen to the public response. Now I get it. Like you said, there's more to it. The teams would be complaining, but I'm at the point, open it up. And this is extreme logistics, all these things, change the schedule, but open it up to 16 games in the sense of, or 16 teams. Could you imagine an uh, NCAA football style bracket it would be a sports betting frenzy. People lose their mind. It would be insane. Now, It'd there's so much insane. that goes. It, there's a lot that goes into that. I'm not saying it's that simple, but why not push for it? At least start with six. Okay, this is working. Let's bump it up and, like, go from there. Yeah. So, And I agree. Why not put the five conference champs, one at large, and it it solves itself. There's not all this other mess involved. and Because it's going to become – this year is going to be a mess unless some teams – make it easy for the decision makers. That's all I'm going to say. There is the possibility with teams like Ohio State with tough matchups, Michigan, all these teams could drop a game, and then all of a sudden Cincy kind of walks in. Oregon, I'm, I was keep meaning to say it, but I, I watched Oregon. They're the real deal. I think their head coach is the real deal. He has a, He's putting that system in there, getting there. But I could see them dropping that Utah game, and then they play Oregon State, which it doesn't matter how good either team is. That's always a possibility. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think – we could see since he get a little help is what I'm getting at, but I totally agree. They got it. Oh, excuse me. They got expanded though. It's, it's unbelievable. They unbelievable. really do in the, it's right there. And there's no guarantee that I'm not saying set in stone that it's automatic conference champions get in, but it at least leaves that door open for all five to get in and plus an at large. I get extending it too far out to where we're now worrying about players health safety uh how are we're just getting greedy you know that's the line i don't want to get at where it's just we're doing it because we're so greedy that we just you know we want to see more football and that's where there has to be a balance i've always pushed the idea and this is where maybe this is like now we're getting really out there but i've always said the ncaa and they will never do this i've never heard anybody on a big tv network say this probably for a reason but they really wanted to give these kids a little cut. Anybody who makes a big bowl game, anybody who's on that nationally televised big time game, give them a little cut of the TV dollars because realistically, that's where the money is. Everybody, you can go look, I mean, anybody can look it up. There's so much sponsorship money flowing through television and college football. Give the kids like 1%. It's like you play in a bowl game, everybody gets a check for this amount, whatever. But you're right, though. I think there is a level of greed. That's why I said it would take a lot of altering schedules. You don't want to make kids play. I'm not trying to suggest like a 16-game college football season. A lot of elements would go into that. But I think we are getting closer to the point where you hear of these things like 
super conferences and people kind of wanting to cut the NCAA out of it, where maybe the next step is teams, you know, I think this is, I'm talking down the road, but the idea of a almost independently run, like, hey, we're just taking the best 16 teams at the NCAA, let's just do this run attorney. So we'll see how it all goes. I just think there's so many possibilities. Yeah, the super, the super conference is going to be the SEC. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, After they yeah, add they're... Oklahoma and Texas, like true, they true. absolutely have been pilfering the top end of the Big Twelve. And the Big Twelve right. is pulling in some competitive teams that I actually like and can't wait to see uh, what these programs do with their shot because all they're doing is just adding more to the SEC and. At some point, it's too much. Like, guys, we get it, True. okay? You guys think you're the best, but these these schools are – they don't understand that they're also ruining their chances to get into these games. Like, you're making it more competitive. Yeah. I get that, oh, that means our losses are going to count as more and da-da-da-da. But the teams that aren't Alabama, like, you're screwed. You're screwed. Oklahoma's going to be like a 7-4 and four team in the SEC, I think. I hate to say that because I've always kind of defended 100%. the idea 100%. that SEC's not that much better. But, no, I think that over the war of attrition, they're not built for it. It's a different they style of play. Also, you have to completely rebuild your, like, you know, structure your, your team, build inside out. A lot of those Big Ten teams and, or Big 12, it's all about high-flying offense. And I love watching it. But, yeah, SEC, it's like you're going to be playing grinders against the big boys in the South. So. They're going to be a bunch of Missouris in there. Like, Texas got mopped up this last weekend. Oklahoma is not built to last in SEC football. Like, Utah? Utah could hang in SEC football. Oregon and Utah. (laughs) Oregon, you know, like, they could hang in SEC football. Like, there's certain teams. I could see USC handling their own in the SEC. And let's be honest, USC isn't that good of a team right now, but they actually have that pro potential. They have that structure built. Pro style uh, Notre offense. Dame yeah. maybe could. I don't think Ohio State would do well there. I don't think maybe Michigan. Michigan State I could see doing well in the Michigan SEC. Michigan State, Iowa. Like they, they would translate if they got the talent down yeah. there. Teams but... that play defense – can translate because SEC is a different monster. You know, their front fours and their front fives on both sides of the ball are just, they're in a league of their own. Like they're They're playing like two to three NFL players every game for sure. Every game. The front seven, like maybe three guys on every SEC roster. Lottery picks. Yeah. Not just NFL players. Like it's the entire field is NFL players. We're talking top end lottery picks, like the cream of the crop every single game and Oklahoma and Texas are in for a really rude awakening because you've got a program like Ole Miss on the rise. Like watch out what Lane Kiffin's doing in Ole Miss right now. Like they've always been able to talent or uh, recruit top end talent. Now were they maybe cutting some checks under the table and doing a few things back door? Who was it? Who isn't in college football? True, true. You know what I mean? But Lane Kiffin is – I think he's finally found his his sweet spot. And I think that Ole Miss is going to be a program on the rise in the SEC. 
Oh, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. The SEC right now, I, that's kind of what led me to think that you have the old Miss, I believe it's Mississippi State, Texas A&M, all these teams who are just kind of on the bubble, and there's no future in sight of them getting past the Georgia, the Bama, and even an Auburn and LSU and like the long, bigger picture. Those teams are built for the long term. Now, Old Miss is on the rise. I like what you're saying, though. I think Kiffin's in the right spot. And he's a guy who he's got a stigma around him, but he got thrown into the fire way too early as a head coach. And now, plenty of time. It might all come together for Lane Kiffin at Old Miss, where, like you said, he can get the talent. And it seems like that's a good fit for him because at the end of the day, the South, they love their football. SC or West Coast, anything out here is just so political. There's so much going on with the around. I, I'm Southern California guy. SC, that school, if, if a head coach doesn't win the first game, it's like, it's fire. So, Lane, yeah, Lane Kiffin, interesting yeah. stuff. But, no, I, I just think that to see Texas, especially Oklahoma, just stands out. Because I think of a guy like Radler, who, like we talked a little about him earlier, I do think he has got talent. I think he could, he could be an NFL player. But I never saw the number one pick thing. But I look at a guy like that, and I think of – even Baker Mayfield, who, who I'm a big fan of, but if you put them against SEC defenses, taking seven, eight, nine hits a week against that kind of defense on those kind of a frame, it's going to take its toll. Like yeah. Stetson Benson, it's, or Benny, excuse me, it's, it's kind of impressive because he's not the biggest dude, but he's just a smart football player. But you can't be a mobile overly, like running all – who's the mobile QBs from the SEC? I mean, you don't see it. I mean, there's a balance. You have to have a little bit of that – pocket yeah. passer or you're going to put yourself out there and just take a big hit from a 375 pound line maybe not 375 345 pound lineman yeah crazy yeah they don't have uh you know any cam newton shout out to i'm back so I that's a, that's what you got to be though you got to be like a cam like a big dude you if can't be gonna do that it, and here's the thing about rattler okay he doesn't run enough like Lincoln Riley's offense is predicated on a quarterback that's mobile, not a runner. Doesn't need to be a dual threat, but Baker could move. Kyler could move. Jalen could move. And they all ran it to perfection. Spencer Rattler sits in the pocket. He wants to play wants pocket to be a ball because he's not that fast. He's not a Kyler. He's as big as Kyler Murray, but he is not as fast or agile as any of those quarterbacks and you watch him play and he can make the throws when he's got a clean pocket, but he doesn't throw the ball well downfield in that offense, which he did the year before, but he just doesn't have that, that extra threat that keeps defenses off balance. Like today's football college and NFL you, if you don't have that extra it, that extra gear to where you can move around, you're toast. You're just toast. Like the defenses will lock in on you. And unless you're Tom Brady, which is basically Jesus, you're going to, you're going to fail as a pocket passer. If you don't. Very move. few. Totally. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more with that because I think it's not necessarily the ability to run and be like a traditional mobile quarterback, but in the modern NFL, besides I can only think of a handful of guys, Stafford comes to mind, 
But, yeah, you have to be able to move around in the pocket, manipulate the defense a little bit, those kind of things. And then especially with a guy like Rattler, like we talked about with Murray, when you're lack the height and the size, you have to be able to roll out, make those throws outside the pocket. Jalen Hurts, Baker, they all accept all of that. So that's interesting. I think he's the kind of guy who maybe needs to transfer like SC, pack, shake up the Pac-12 a little. That might be a good system for a more traditional pro style. But yeah, if he if they go down to the SEC and he he's the kind of QB they're running out there, it's going to be interesting to see for yeah. sure. Not going to do well. Sure. Speaking of SC, though. I love that freshman you guys got. That kid's got Moxie up his, you know what? That guy is a gamer with his Anakin Skywalker slash. You know, I love that look on people when they use the eye black vertically, and you can just tell he's got juice. Like you watch Keaton Slovis, and he's Keaton Slovis. He looks like a wet dog that throws. Decent footballs. There's nothing really that special about Keaton Slovis. And, you know, I want to root for a local kid that was coached by Kurt Warner. But this other kid has just fire in him. Like, you see the way the team embraces him when he's in. Like, you can tell SC plays with a different edge when he's playing. And it's as clear as night and day. And at this point in the season, you know, when you're trying to build for the future, like you don't know, that season shambles. Like you don't know who your coach is going to be. Oh, you nice. got this, you got this guy in right now who's trying to buy for the spot, but you know, they did that with Clay and look what happened. So they, he, the guy is a great recruiter and he's going to be a head coach somewhere. But I don't think you guys are going to be able to keep him on the staff. And that's, a shame because he is such a good recruiter. And that's one thing that goes, it's not the first thing that is talked about among just the basic public. Like college football heads know how much recruiting factors into a coach's resume. And this guy has it in spades. Um, but I don't think you're going to be able to retain him if you guys get a big coach. And then you have Keaton Slovis. Is he going to the league? Is he coming back? If he comes back, would he even get the start? You know, like, I think he's almost being forced out with this young kid. And it's, you know, no through no fault of his own or the the young buck. I'm trying to remember what his name is. I want to say Jackson. Like, Dar. Jackson. Dar. Jackson. Jackson is his Dart. last name. Guy's a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, Dart, yeah, man. Jackson Dart. Like, that just sounds darts. like a USC quarterback. Like, he looks the part, he sounds the part, he plays the part. He is going to be, um, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say he completely revitalizes the program, but he'll definitely give you guys an edge to build on. He'll be a building blocker for sure as the program rebuilds. And if SC in four years is back to SC, then you can look at Jackson Dart as one of the reasons why. Because he, I think, is that that next that next big gun out west. And if I was a USC coach, I would be putting all my chips in that kid's basket. Uh, he's got a little Ian book to him. He's got that flair, that winning edge that I kind of like my quarterbacks to have. You know, so... 
it'll be interesting to see how USC recovers from their wild tailspin. Yeah, it's been an absolute tailspin. That's the best way to put it. Being a Southern California football guy in general has just been a roller coaster. I like, I kind of stay like far back and try to like appreciate all the teams equally. But SC of all anybody has had the biggest peak and just crash. I mean, it's never been the same. They were there was a time SC was almost a bigger show in LA than Lakers, and right now it's like they're just a mess. So we'll see what happens. That Jackson Dart kid. Everything I've seen from him, he looks like the real deal. I remember I saw his, I think it was against Washington State earlier in the year. He made his debut. Mm-hmm. Kid just looked different. Like, you could just tell. It's like you said, he had the it factor. He looked like an SC quarterback. Hopefully, they can get back on track. It's been just about almost 12, 15 years. It's been a disaster for that program since Pete Carroll and that whole debacle. It's a whole story for yeah. another time. We'll get Reggie Bush's Heisman back. But, no, great, yeah. great stuff talking a ton of college football today, Rico. So on that note, it's about 10-10. It's probably time to probably wrap it up. About an hour today. Unless there's anything else you were ready to rock and roll cover today. Only other thing uh, I would – oh. The the only thing I would say just to follow up with uh, the USC thing is I hate USC. They're my most hated team more than U of A. It's not even close because I've got Notre Dame that plays them and I've got – ASU that plays them and during the Carroll era and the dynasty years you guys just mopped both of them up every single year and we've now tipped the scales and now we're beating them and it's not the same it's nowhere near is satisfying and I'm one of those fans that I like when my rivals are good like I've got a respect for USC I've got a respect for my uh my big game rivals. And I hope that a blue blood like USC can get back to its prominence because football, college football is better when USC is better. Facts. And I will, I'll put the disclaimer out there because I could sit there and claim that I was rooting for USC. So I'm not gonna lie. I actually was not a USC. I was like the guy to sit there. So like the lone Californian, Southern California Clipper guy, not a USC fan. So, no, I feel I actually didn't like USC. I was like, hated them, but they've been so bad for so long. It's like the Lakers, where I'm rooting for them to get back. I'm like, damn, I'm ready for USC to be good again. I don't, I'm even like, I'm, I want them to be good. I'm rooting for the players, yeah. I'm rooting for the system, Clay Helton, everybody. Um, now he's gone, obviously. But no, so I get that is funny, though. I, I think I was one of the few, like three people in Southern California cheering when Vince Young ran for that touchdown. Uh, so, no, I, I hear you. That was a historic. One of those everybody that I knew kind of like F you moment, you know, I'm all FSC. But no, yeah. now. What's that? Term- I can hear something outside. That sounds like a, it sounds like a Chevelle coming by for a drive-by right now. You better be careful. <laughs> They're yeah. very, very protective in L.A. about their sports, especially oh. the Trojans. Lakers and Trojans fans, I could safely say I've a. Uh, I, and I Dodgers. go in public Ooh. to this and Dodgers. I go and I'm an Angels guy. I go out in the public to this day. Stay, sorry for another time. Wearing a Clippers shirt and strangers will just come up. Strangers just come up and go. You're a Clipper fan, right on. And like, give me the dirtiest look. I'm the f- what was that all about? You would never like. I, am I do I care if you're wearing a Lakers shirt? No, I'm playing. Yeah, no, Clippers are like the Mets. You know, you guys are the 100%. Metropolitans of. I've the always West. said the Mets fans. I'm, I relate to them 100. I've been saying that for years. So that's spot on. It is. Nets, Mets, all the same thing. No, good stuff. I would say I don't. I only the other thing I was going to talk about. Today, I don't know if you had a minute, but 
go into this real quick, or if you're ready to rock and roll. I'm Did always you see the NF- Okay, yeah, I, got, I could run, run in like 10 more minutes here. I wanted to get to this, just because okay. we start talking about cities and stuff here. Did you see the NFL's thinking of adding two expansion teams? I did. And then, and then the reason I want to bring it up is the cities that they mentioned. I was wondering your thoughts on it. San Antonio, Toronto, St. Louis, and London. I'm, I'll, I'll just, what are your thoughts initially? And then I'll let you know what I was thinking about it. But Well, it, it looks like uh, they're just bringing Madden to real life because it's the it exact like same it. thing with the real location. Uh, I don't know how London would be. Like, that would be so interesting. But could you imagine the West Coast flights? Like, I, I, I get it. I get it, you know, but Toronto is different than London. Now, San Antonio, I can see. San Antonio, obviously St. Louis, because St. Louis has a proud football heritage. And I would love to see football back in St. Louis, to be honest. Um, As much as I hate the Cardinals of St. Louis as a Cubs fan, uh, St. Louis sports – it's a shame that they don't have their football team still. San Antonio, it would be interesting. Like, Texas loves their football. They love their Spurs. Uh, I could see, you know, them getting a team. Toronto, I mean, they're all the top four choices. The London one is very interesting. I think that the NFL would strongly consider London just so that they could start getting their grubby little paws over into the uh, Eastern Hemisphere. And, 100%. And I think that it's such – it's too much. Like, it's just too much. You're talking overseas. Like, Toronto is uh, – a land neighbor like you know we are boxed in by oceans and we share territory like toronto is part of north america whereas london is across the pond you know and as much as i would love to see that uh you know it's one thing for a team to travel there i mean i know that we've been getting them accustomed to it with these games and these flights and, uh, you know, their one London game a year. But it's it's asking a lot to, to, to have teams travel, specifically West Coast teams. Like, it's a little different than your Thursday night games. I, I, I just... Don't know how the logistics would work on that, but my gut tells me that Toronto and London uh, are the two favorites of the NFL, but St. Louis of those four would be the first to get a team. I'm pretty on track with where you are on this. I think St. Louis is like the easy choice. Like give St. Louis their team. They have the fan base. They love football. There was no reason that team left other than bullshit finances and business stuff so st louis i'm i'm all in on makes sense but with london i'm i think you're spot on i think the nfl is probably going to do london they want to get their 
like you said, grubby hands on it, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, they're trying to get that money, and they're greedy, and they don't even hide it anymore. The term I saw that really caught my eye with this one was the NFL was looking to accommodate for losses from the pandemic or something. Like, who are you accommodating? Uh, not The players aren't being accommodated at all with the move to London. So I even took the time to look up some stuff. So it's like a 10-hour flight from L.A. to London or something like that, and that even seems like – I thought it'd be longer. The point I was getting at, imagine you're like the New York Giants. You play the Seahawks week one of the playoffs all the way to the West Coast. At week two, you're in London. That's like 30 hours of travel on a plane. It doesn't make sense. And the second point, I get it from a business standpoint. They could be Europe's team. Maybe it catches on. How long does it take for it's like the London Lions, the London Browns of old, where it's like the team's 2-14, and got an empty stadium full of soccer fans and nobody really gives a shit. So there's that, they might be missing that Toronto. I agree though, being on the same continent, it's close to Buffalo, close to New York. I think it's like a six hour flight from LA, which that's reasonable. I think that's similar. I think it's actually shorter from LA to Toronto than LA to New York somehow. I don't know. You know how some, that weird shit works. The point is that makes sense. We saw with the Raptors, they have a loyal fan base. They love their sports. They do like football. London, though, it's like who's winning from that besides the NFL's pockets? I don't see anybody benefiting besides the NFL from that. And who's going to want to play there? Like what top-end free agent is going to want to go play in London? You know what I mean? Like give me a break. I've seen Lost enough times. I watched Manifest. Like, I'm not trying to fly across the pond every single week to play a game, to play an away game. Like, you're literally flying across the Atlantic Ocean every single away game, period. And then what's next? We're going to start building up the NFL Europe again and bringing them in the NFL. Like, they got greedy with the extra game, and this is why, because they want to add two teams so that they'll have – more of an opportunity to get these teams a chance to play into the regular season. But London is not going to be a Vegas Golden Knight situation where they come in and win right away. They're just not. It's, it's foolhardy to think that London could actually home a professional NFL team over so many cities in the United States that are deserving of it. This is the NFL. It's American football. To even go to Canada for it should be sacrilege. Now, I get that Toronto has deep ties with the United States, and I love Canada uh, as much as the next Canadian. I have a profound respect for Canada, and particularly their comedians. But that being said, I could name 10 cities right now that are more deserving of an NFL franchise than Toronto. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, think of Portland. I was going to, that's the, uh, that was the city I was going to say. I think Portland would be great for a football city. I looked it up. It's an hour and a half from Bend. I'm like, you don't think those Oregon Duck fans are going to travel an hour and a half? They'll be ready to rock and roll. Oregon's a nice drive. Think of the Rose Garden. Like, the Rose Garden for the Trailblazers sells out constantly. Like, they have one of the best home crowds in the league, you know? And it's one of the better franchises 
in NBA, uh, in the NBA in terms of profit and uh, fanship, what they do in player development, and just how you want a team to be run when you're not at the top. Like, they are a good franchise with a good fan base, good executives. (laughs) You know, that argument can be made or dismayed or swayed or dissuaded. Um, But there are so many teams, or pardon me, so many cities that are deserving just in the United States alone. Like, there are no real teams like Oklahoma City. That's a good one. Think of these, you know, like think of some of these other cities that don't have, you know, the 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 heartland of America. You know, you got your Minnesota and and your Detroits and your Wisconsin's and your Chicago's and da 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 da. But why not try to set up camp some other places? You know, really, really uh test the limits like Boise, you know? Boise has a good idea. a, a good, strong fan base. Utah. Utah is another sports craze. Like, could you imagine if Salt Lake City had a football team? Every single in. Mormon in the in the tri-state uh, Utah area would become the new top fans. Like Utah in Salt Lake City would be a perfect spot for a professional sports team. It's right in the middle of the country, strong fan base, great football weather, great football fans like Utah, BYU. When do they not show out for their teams? Always. Always. So I I get the mass, you know, the big city, the glitz, the glamour, but there are certain cities that I would put ahead of the Torontos, the Londons, um, I don't want to leave St. Louis out, but I would leave San Antonio out. I would absolutely put a team in Salt Lake City before I would in San Antonio. Period. That's no, I think that's facts. And Salt Lake City, like you said, the foot they love football. Their Utah Jazz games, notoriously, although their fans are kind of known as maybe sometimes assholes at times or maybe whatever. Yeah. They buy in. They love their teams and they're oh. they sell out almost every night. They buy in Salt Lake City, Portland, St. Louis. I think all three of those cities are super valid. I just wanted to bring it up, get your thoughts on it, because it just makes you wonder like, are we beating around the bush NFL? Like, why don't you just come out and say we're trying to expand our brand? Because if you go to Toronto, you go to London, it's it's basically a financial decision. Like I said, Toronto, it's East Coast. I get it, it's close enough to Buffalo and New York and that, there's already a, a lot of teams in the Northeast. We could, like you said, I thought Denver's pretty much the only team in that region. So it's like you'd have the Broncos, Salt Lake City, at least kind of a little bit more, less travel for the Broncos. You know, throw them in their division, whatever. So, no, I think that's a great point. I just think that it goes back to show how greedy the NFL could be, where it's like we're going to frame it as, oh, we need to accommodate for this. And like you said, accommodate for the schedule. And it's like only thing you're accommodating is your own checkbook. I mean, it's not helping any players. Yeah. And like you said, what player is going to wake up and go, all right, signing a five-year deal, never been to London. Guess I'm going to go to London for five years and we'll check it out. And if it doesn't work out, I mean, hey, I guess 
you know, see how it just doesn't it doesn't yep. logically add up. Better load up on your fish and chips, but yeah, exactly. I have a question to prose you. So, and it will never happen, but notice how there are never talks about a pro team going to the South, the Alabamas, the Mississippis. If Alabama ever got a professional football team, would it sell or would it be the worst investment the NFL could ever make? I think it would be the worst. And do you say that from an optics standpoint and politics and those kind of things or from a genuine money-making standpoint? I'm saying from both because you always have to factor in optics and politics to wherever you go. Now, obviously, um, the way the NFL operates, uh, maybe some of the more conservative voters aren't going to be as open to their ideology of pushing the progress or progressive narrative. Now, I'm saying if we fact if we leave all that out and we just factor in what Auburn and Alabama football mean to that state, would they ever would the the citizens of Alabama ever embrace a professional football team? And I'm not even saying more so than Bama or Auburn. That would never happen. But would it even catch on with the citizens? Or would they be like, this isn't us. This isn't what we do. We are college football, and this is where it lives. Yeah, no, I think that's a valid point. And I think the first place I go with it is the level of corporate the NFL has become. Maybe we're talking 30 years ago when football was pretty much like throw the ball out there, let's play some football. Dudes might be walking off the field like spitting blood still, that kind of a days. They might buy in. But nowadays, everything comes back to sponsorship, marketing, money. And I feel like people in that region do have some family down there. So shout out my cousins in Bama. I'm not going to lie. I moved out there from Southern California. But I don't think they would buy into the professional sports aspect, especially when you look at Bama and Auburn. That's going to be hard to move the needle already. Whereas, like I think you said, Oklahoma City, I think they could dip in enough to the Sooners. And I think that we've seen them buy into professional sports. That is like a metropolitan city. I don't know if they have that vibe down there. I think that they're more like, let's keep it local, keep it grassroots, love our team. So, no, I think that's a valid point. And I think people would be turned off by, we've already seen it where there's the consensus around certain sports fans. So they're like, I'm just done with sports and the politics around it. And I think that region would especially stand out because I mean, there's a lot of people, that's why I wanted to get into this start little show. And so at a certain point, you just get tired of hearing the same thing over and over and over. And I think that's something that in certain regions like that, it would come to light. I'm, I grew up going to Montana and stuff. Visiting. It's another place where they don't really like buy into the corporate bigger yeah. you know that and i don't know if it would sell they love the college team they love the local team but on the bigger market that's a great point something i hadn't thought about much because sometimes i do think i go why don't they dip into these markets where people love football so much and that's interesting you say that because as i was making this list i kept thinking of cities like a alabama or a montana these places where i know they love football but i didn't add them to the list and that probably a large portion why we're just a different style of life too like i'm not gonna buy yeah. it just yeah, no, I respect the question, though. It's, it's a good, it's interesting yeah. to think about because everyone's different everywhere. Well, it's the difference between rural and metropolitan, you know, like 
America is built up of so many rural communities, but we think of all these metropolitan cities because that's where all the money is. Mm-hmm. So it's where the media lies and it's where everybody gets to uh, get a louder voice, get a, a bigger piece of the pie. But there's Iowa's and Kansas's and Nebraska's of the United States that are living, breathing, and dying Americans that are paying taxes just like everybody else that have small businesses or big businesses or are on payroll or just your average hardworking American that has a claim to this country and doesn't operate in this political landscape that we're in where everything is so driven by narrative and agenda on either side, to be honest. I mean, uh, I know that I can sway against the progressive narrative politics because I just believe from a pure ideological standpoint that anytime you start forcing narratives on people, that's a little bit extreme, you know. That's kind of more of the nationalistic, communistic, uh, socialistic ideals that we've seen from dictators. So while I like that the conversations are being had, I don't like when it's being funneled down our throats and people are being forced into thinking these ways as opposed to naturally making their own decisions to come to a better resolution. And with respect to college and pro sports, you're right. It's why you got on here. You just get tired of the same old bullshit narratives and the same games, the same 10 athletes they talk about and same 10 teams they talk about on every big media, Fox Sports, ESPN, you know, first take. Skip and Shannon, Undisputed. They talk about the same teams and the same players every day. And it's just like, I'll tune in to Skip and Shannon because I am so in love with Jenny Taft, the All-American girl. Shout out to Jenny Taft. Uh, If you are unwed, Jenny Taft, uh, I will start a a life with you today. I will do anything you want. I am a great dancer. I'm a great cooker. I think I'll make a good father. Um, so just keep all that stuff in mind when you look at my husband resume, uh, Jenny Taft, I love you. But besides that, they talk about the same bullshit every single day. And then you tie in these politics, like it's too much. It's just at some point you just want them to roll out and play ball. And I get that they're like, well, that's just another form of oppression. You're just silencing us. It's like, yes and no. Like, sometimes we just want to see the sports game. Like, we get that it's a business and that you're a brand and ah, da, 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 da. But at the end of the day, sometimes we just want to see competition. And, you know, sometimes we want to hear stories that aren't of the same five stories that we've heard all week. Like, Let's spread our wings a little bit. Let's let's talk about a few other issues at hand. Let's talk about a few other uh, bits of sports news or politics or whatever, and let's kind of dig underneath the surface instead of just scratching the surface. No, all, all well said, and 
I think you had a great point in there about it's not that Jenny Taft and me. Oh, might have to cut that and send it out there. I mean, that was a great reel, you know, for your dating profile, right? They're not playing. That's too funny. Yeah, they, hey, you never know. Never say never. Swing oh for my the fence God. on the show. I will swing like I'll swing out of my shoes for that one. No doubt. Continue. Going for the homer. I'm going for a salon. Transition day, back to the park. Into the bay. Uh, you know, it's into McCovey Cove. I'm diving in after it. I'm snorkeling to get that ball, and then I'm bringing it back to her. And we're starting a family white picket fence. Two dogs, two kids, a boy and a girl. The boy's first, the girl's second. And we just live off the land and write for sporting out, outlets. And that's all we do. And we make love every single night in the most beautiful, romantic way possible that anybody has ever unionized. Speaking it into existence here on the No Filter <laughs> Network. One of a kind. Speaking it into existence. Well, I don't right. know if there's ever been a better place to stop than that, but I Yeah, I was like, I was about to, we yeah. were about to go back into some of the stuff you were talking about. I think on that note, why don't we wrap up the show right there? And next time we link up on the Zone TV, No Filter Network, we'll talk, we'll keep this one going. Cause I think there's a lot of good stuff in there, but not going to get any better than that. All right, Rico, good stuff today, man. Way to wrap it up on a good note. <laughs> one of a kind, one of a kind. Uh, I'd like to give a special shout out to Jenny Taft. If you're out there somewhere, please watch the Zone Sports with my boy JD. He's the truth. He's the real deal, the real McCoy. No Filter Network is the new blood, and he is leading the way. I'm Uncle Rico. That's JD. This is the Zone Sports. Besos. We're out. Peace.